May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we need to hear. What do you think is the average size of an American family today? That is, we're talking about the number of family members living in one house in 2022. What do you think, how many do you think? Four, three. Four, three. Oh, you're all close. The average American household was 2.5. 2.5 people. I don't know who that 0.5 person is. I wouldn't want to be him, but... For the past hundred years, families have been shrinking in our nation and really in most countries around the world. According to U.S. Census Bureau data from 19, I'm sorry, 1850, back in the 1800s, it was very common to have six to nine children. In this area, when I was a kid and the generation before me, there were a lot of large families in those days at least in this neck of the woods. I remember that. Lots of my friends were in big families. We had big, they had big houses, you know. Uh, it was different then. But that's changed. There's an old story about a pastor who was visiting a big family in his congregation one day. And he was sitting there and he was talking to one of the sons. And he said, how many kids are in your family? And he said, ten. And the pastor said, Wow. Ten children must cost a lot. And the boy said, oh, no, no, we don't buy them. We just take care of them and raise them. <laughs> Even our smaller families can be a handful. There was a woman named Paige who posted this on Twitter. The great thing about having four kids is because now I have four people to watch me bring in the groceries all by myself. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that one. Our Bible passage for today is about a blended family. This is Joseph, Rachel, Leah, and Rachel and Leah's handmaids, Billa and Zilpah, and the children. All together, they had 12 sons and one daughter, Dinah. And Jacob made it clear that he had a favorite. And his favorite kid was Joseph. He even gave him a special robe to show his favor. And as we read, his brothers were very, very jealous of this. Verse 4 says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. We've seen this before in the scriptures. The first human family was torn apart by jealousy. Cain envied Abel. And what happened? He killed them. Jacob envied Esau. What happened? Two brothers didn't speak to each other for years until finally Jacob humbled himself and went to his brother and asked for forgiveness. Rachel envied Leah, and Leah envied Rachel. What happened? Bilhah and Ziphthah were forced to have children for Jacob. Different back in those days. And now Joseph who is really at this stage an innocent teenager, is feeling his brother's jealous rage coming his way. There was a woman named Mary Ann who posted a comment on Twitter from her six-year-old child who was just learning the rules of punctuation. Today I ended a sentence with two catastrophes and a period. <laughs> because of 
his brother's jealousy, Joseph's day is about to end with two catastrophes in a period. They strip him of his robe, they throw him into this hole, this cistern, and then they sell him to a passing caravan of, of merchants, of Ishmaelites, who were on their way to Egypt with some goods. Here's the story of the Ishmaelite people. When Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting for God to give them that son that he had promised them, Sarah gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham. And Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Well, Hagar seemed to think that she had some advantage, that she was better than Sarah. So Sarah, probably very jealous, drove Hagar and that baby, Ishmael, into the desert where God protected them and he declared a promise over Ishmael. And now the Ishmaelites have bought that favored son, Joseph, to be their slave. What a story. And that brings us to the first question that I have from the life of Joseph. Who are you? Who am I? When everything that matters, every little thing almost it feels like that matters to you gets torn away. When all that is left at this moment is what is in front of you. Your heart is aching. Maybe you're lonely. Something overwhelming has happened. And you have to face it. You have a choice to face. Are you going to shut down? Are you going to explode? Or are you going to trust in God? It's your decision in those times. In just a matter of hours, everything that mattered to Joseph, everything he had, everything that was his life, was taken away from him. His safety, his security, his home, his family, his freedom, it was all gone. He went from being a favored son to a slave, just like that, in the blink of an eye. Loss this great is devastating. Loss of a loved one causes us to question who we are now that we are without them, now that we've lost them. Loss of a job causes us to ask the same question. Causes us to question our ability. Causes us whether or not we have anything to contribute. And when our pain causes us to turn away from God, then we also lose our identity and our purpose and our security. How do we get back our sense of identity, who we are? Sir Mo Farah is an Olympic track star from England. He has won four Olympic titles in long-distance running, and six world titles. He said that a few years ago, he was kidnapped from his home in Somalia, and he was brought to the UK when he was nine years old. When civil war broke out in his home, or his town of Somaliland, his widowed mother sent him with relatives to a town called Jabouti. And one day, a woman took him from his relative's home. She said that little Hussein, his real name was Hussein, had relatives in the UK that wanted to meet him. 
And so the woman gave him fake travel documents with the name Muhammad Farah. And she flew with him and took him to the UK. But when they got to her apartment in London, she took the paper with the relative's contact information and she tore it up and threw it in the garbage. And Sir Mo says that at that moment, I knew I was in trouble. The woman made the nine-year-old boy into a domestic slave, a servant. She forced him to do housework and to care for her children and to get food and even to cook. He says the woman told him, if you ever want to see your family again, do as I say. Don't say anything, don't tell anybody. And so when he was 12, three years later, she decided to allow him to enroll in school. Well, he was obviously far behind in school because of not being there for a few years. And teachers reported that he was withdrawn and very alienated from other, uh, the other kids. The one time that he relaxed and he appeared to thrive was when he was running track. Eventually, Farah opened up to his PE teacher, a man named Alan Watkinson, and told him about being kidnapped. Watkinson called social services. They got Farah removed from the house and they placed him with a Somali foster family. He says, I still missed my real family, but from that moment everything got better. I felt like a lot of stuff was lifted off my shoulders and I felt like me again. He continued to excel in track and he began to get some publicity for his great athletic achievements. People began to notice and one day a Somali woman living in London gave him a, a tape and he listened to that tape and he recognized that voice. It was the voice of his mother singing Somali traditional songs for him. Someone had tracked down his mom and connected her with the Somali community in London and Sir Mo Farah and his son traveled back to Somaliland soon afterwards for a joyful reunion with his mother and his two brothers. He had chosen to speak out about his trafficking in hopes that other victims would get help and be reunited with their families too, and he still works toward that today. He knew what his identity was. He knew where home was, who his mother was. So was Joseph, who, who was Joseph when everything that mattered was taken away from him? Joseph was and knew that he was still a child of God. Keep that in mind when those times come. There are people in this room this morning who are facing these very situations. Please, I encourage you, and you know who you are, to first of all remember that even though this has happened and it's terrible, you are still God's child. He still loves you. 
For Joseph, the same God who had led his family for generations was still there. The faithful God who had promised to make them into a great nation was still there. Joseph was a child of that God, and he knew it, he recognized it, and so are you. And you are just as important to God as Joseph was. It's the one thing that no one, I said no one, or nothing, or no situation can take away from you. You are God's child, and he loves you more than you can even imagine. And no one can take that love away. In his worst moments, when Joseph had lost control of everything, and that happens to us too, doesn't it, sometimes? He could still control one thing, and that is that he could honor God no matter what. And Joseph was godly, wise, and trustworthy, even as a slave in Egypt. He was faithful to God. A government official's wife tried to seduce Joseph. Then she made false accusations against him. He was thrown into prison, where he helped Pharaoh's officials by interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams. And through it all, he trusted in God, and he tried his best to always do God's will. He made a decision in the worst circumstances to live by what he knew about God. God didn't let his loss stop him. I'm sorry, Joseph didn't let his loss stop him or his situation define who he was. His honesty and his wisdom impressed the Pharaoh so much that he appointed Joseph to be the governor of the land of Egypt. Wow, what a story. Many years ago, Norman Vincent Peale addressed the student body at the Naval Air College in Florida. A Navy captain arranged to fly back to, flying back to New York afterwards. And as they headed for New York, the clear skies became very cloudy and it became obvious that they weren't going to be able to navigate any further by sight. And so Peale suggested that they land a plane in Philadelphia. And the captain said, don't worry. I don't need to see to know where I'm going. We'll get to New York safely. I trust the instruments on this instrument panel to get us there. In thick fog and in poor visibility, the pilot made a perfect landing at New York Airport. When Reverend Peel complimented him on his skill, he said the primary thing that it took to do what we just did was faith. And he said, how so? He said, when I'm flying in an overcast, with, with overcast skies, I have to have faith in these instruments. I know that they work. They're constantly tested. I know that I can count upon them. I have implicit faith in these instruments. If I didn't have that, I might say to myself, maybe this instrument isn't exactly right, so I better do something different. And all that could have very tragic consequences. But I do have faith in those instruments, and that is what brought us through this overcast to a safe landing. Joseph knew that he was a child of God. He knew he could count on God in every situation. He had strong faith when everything around him fell apart. And his continued obedience to God, even under the worst circumstances, led him to a position of great honor and great power. But that's not the end of the story. 
Joseph's story gets even better. We'll talk about that next week. But the last thing I want to talk about from this chapter of Joseph's life is this. How Joseph responded to his losses would determine not just his future, but the future of an entire nation. In December of 2005, Noel Galloway was serving his second deployment in Iraq when an armored vehicle triggered a roadside bomb. The powerful blast flipped the vehicle. He woke up in a hospital in Washington, D.C. on Christmas Day of 2005. He was missing most of his left arm and his whole left leg. Galloway struggled with his injuries, but he struggled even more with the loss of his military career. His depression led to drinking. His life went downhill, but one day, he says, he walked out of his bedroom and he saw his three children sitting on the couch watching TV, and he says, I realized that to my two boys, I'm showing them what a parent is, and that's what they're going to become one day, and that terrified me. That moment was a turning point in Noah's life. He started eating right and working out, he became a powerful athlete, competing in marathons and ultra runs. He even appeared on the show Dancing with the Stars. He has been featured on the cover of Men's Health magazine and was chosen as the ultimate guy by that magazine. He also has become an influential speaker and has started a charitable foundation. His life is a powerful example of how our response to our losses can create a new future for us and for those who we influence. As he said in one interview, we have to realize that we carve the paths that are laid out before us. Find that thing in your life that is bigger than your fears. When everything that mattered to Joseph had been torn away, he found the one thing that was bigger than his fears. That was his faith in God. Joseph remembered that he was a child of God, a child of the merciful and faithful God who never fails, and he let that knowledge decide how he was going to look at the situation and what he was going to do about it. And his faithfulness didn't just affect his future, it affected the future of his family and of the entire nation of Israel. Who would have thought? Our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God who promises that in all things he will work for the good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Make a conscious decision, I encourage you, to trust God and to live as God's witness in even your worst circumstances, and God will use your faithfulness to change your future and the future of the lives of those you have influence. Let's do like Joseph did. Amen.